You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Afternoon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. Actually, it's a typical November day in the Pacific Northwest as it's overcast and already getting dark. God, I just hate daylight savings time. I don't know why we do this every year to ourselves in our biological clocks. They could just leave the darn clocks alone and you know leave us on the on the the, the time the summer you know clock. I. I yeah, I would rather come home when it's light out and get up in the dark than the other way around. But that's just me personally. But I don't know why we have to change. You know, you know what's the purpose of that? So just just as an aside here on the Bose Nose Show, as I kind of get cranked up here on a Wednesday as we come to you live from beautiful downtown Eugene today because – it is time for the Oregon Association of Counties to uh, have their annual meeting, or actually it's the Association of Oregon Counties, to correctly state it. And uh, they meet here in Eugene at the Hilton Conference Center in downtown. And I've stepped away from that, and I'm actually going to miss the governor's address to the body uh, coming up here in about 15 minutes. Uh, shucks. Um, it's more important for me to talk to you uh my radio listeners and my constituents and to hear from you. So that's why I come on the show every week for the Bose News Show as your West Lane County Commissioner and take your calls at 646-721-9887 and just press one and that gets you into the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one and let's Robin my call screener and producer extraordinaire know you want to get in on the conversation and boy there's a lot to talk about today um, as we start thinking about the super majority coming up in Salem uh, that's been a talk in the hallways at the convention with the commissioners as they're kind of concerned about what might happen next spring in the legislature um, and you know, now there's really going to be no constraints on the majority. And in addition to that, you know, people are thinking about, you know, what happened here in Lane County. People are talking to me there about the change in the um, board and the fact that it's going to change the uh, um, tilt of the board, so to speak. And, you know, what does that mean? People are asking me questions about that. So, you know, the election's kind of high on people's minds. You know, I'm going to take us on a little tangent here, You know, kind of like I took us on that tangent about daylight savings time and changing our clocks and all that stuff, which I think in modern times is kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, it, if I had my magic wand and was king for a day, I would get rid of changing our clocks uh, twice a year. <laughs> Not to mention it's just a pain in the butt. seems like every digital clock in the world has got a different way of changing the time. And who remembers six months later how each clock gets changed? It's insane. What were they thinking? Um, hey, I got one for you. Okay. Um, because they changed when the daylight savings time changes, but some of the older stuff that has it built in to do it automatic winds up changing a month earlier. Oh, yeah, because they move the time. And then you gotta fix them back. Exactly. So next thing, next thing you know, the you know the stuff that with it hard coded in springs it back, and you think you're you you wind up at work early, and then you have to change it back, and then a month later, then you got to go ahead and update it to the current where it should have been. Yep. I guess yeah. so. 
I'm hearing a little computer bleeping in and out there. Is that you on your end? Yeah, that's uh, one of the computers saying, I see a drive. No, I don't see a drive. I see a drive. <laughs> okay. All right. Just, just wondering. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, why can't it be like our cell phones that pick up the time off the towers and you don't have to, you don't have to reset your cell phone at least. You know, you get into it you know, and it's great. You fly into another airport. Like I, when I flew to England and you turn your cell phone off of airplane mode and back on regular and it picks up the local tower and you know what time it is in London. You don't have to do the math. You know, it's just all automatic. But, you know, regardless, it's still kind of silly to be changing that time. You know, that, that dates back to when we used to plow fields and farmers, you know, wanted to have it light in the morning and everything else. What difference does it make? <laughs> I I just don't get it. But that's that's just Jay complaining because I hate it getting dark before I get home. <laughs> so I said I was going to take us on a bit of a tangent. That's because we had at the Association of Oregon County's annual meeting uh, in our opening session, they brought, you know, they generally will bring in a speaker, a keynote speaker of some kind. And we had a gentleman that was from a management consulting firm Um you know, that consults on HR issues and particularly on uh, hiring and attracting and keeping um, good employees. And it was kind of concentrated sort of on, you know, the future of the workforce for uh, local government, county government. And uh, he decided to break it down, you know, to, so people could get an understanding into these kind of the generations and the differences between the generations, you know, and starting with the silent generation, also known as the greatest generation to the baby boomers, to Gen Xers, to Gen Y, also known as millennials, and even talking a little bit about the incoming Gen Z. And um, it's, you know, he said it's sort of a trap to talk about generations because, you know, you get into quote ageism or, or you want to stereotype and, and you know, he was careful to qualify. You know, these are broad um, categorizations about the generations and the differences in how they work and how they view work, et cetera. Um, you know, for the baby boomers, their careers were their lives. You know, they're they're defined by their career. You know, they lived to work. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's a, you know, a different concept now um, in, in uh, the way each generation looks at that. And you think about what each generation grew up with, you know, the, the, the silent generation's formative years was the Great Depression. You know, the baby boomers, we were kids through the space race and all that. But, and computers came into being, but the internet really didn't exist for us. Gen X kind of was the start of the internet, you know, AOL dial-up and all that, but not really digital cell phones. And when you get into the, the millennials, they haven't known what a rotary telephone is. And, you know, you know, grew up in the age of having a cell phone as a kid and being able to Google anything. Uh, so a real difference in, in what was formative for everybody and, and what's and how they look at everything from risk um, to work-life balance, et cetera. Um, and also just in how, you know, the, you know, the, the millennials, who, who their parents were, you know, so the boomers parents were silent generation folks, the, the, Gen Xers have boomers for parents. Some of the millennials have Gen Xers. And, and the Gen Xers kind of, you know, were the first latchkey kids, you know, where they were they were coming home to a, an empty house as the boomers were both out working. Double income, no, you know, no kids was a, was a phrase, but, you know, kids came along and they became latchkey kids. Um, so as the, as the, the Xers became parents, 
they didn't want to do that to their kids, so they became helicopter parents. And of course, the millennials grew up in an age where everybody gets a ribbon. Everybody has has a voice. So, you know, it was interesting to listen to them talking about what it takes to to attract and retain uh, millennials who will generally not stay with a job more than two years because they don't look at, at jobs in the same way as, say, a baby boomer did. Now, um, they're more than willing to quit a job without having another job if they just don't feel like that job's working for them. Um, and uh, you really have to keep them engaged in a lot of way, a lot of different ways. And one of the ways you have to be a, a coach with millennials um, more than just a, you know, um, an autocrat. You can't just tell them what to do. You have to coach them. You have to seek their input. That they, they, you don't have to necessarily implement their input, but they want to be able to give input on the first day on the job about how they do their job. But, you know, he gave a list of different things. And, you know, one of the things they talked about was how each generation views authority. You know, of course, you know, there's <clears throat> you know, the generations, you know, that, that you know, respected authority. And, and, and then there's generations that rebelled against authority. And it, but the millennials and I, this was an aha moment for me because this gets back to talking about elections. The millennials, in, as and this is a broad categorization, view authority as the provider. Let that sink in for a, minute, a moment. We have a generation coming into the workforce, and and that actually turned out for the, this last election, particularly in Oregon, in stronger numbers than they ever have, that view authority as the provider. So when you think about some of these candidates that have been successful as declaring openly socialist tendencies to actually almost communist tendencies being successful, think about a generation that thinks upon authority as providing for them. You know, this was a generation that watched their parents lose jobs, maybe even lose a house in the 2008 bubble crash. You know, so, so, you know, that's, and what, you know, rescued some of those folks was government, you know, you know, HARP or some other program that rescued their, their mortgage. Um, they've seen where government's provided um, and then that, that may be what they, they've formed. And also, and it's just the way they've been brought up in school. One of the things that's difficult for a millennial is to put them in an office by themselves or to put them in a group of cubicles where they sit by themselves. They're used to sitting at a table facing each other and collaborating. They're super collaborative because, you know, me as a boomer, when I went to school, we sat in an individual desk in rows, and you're supposed to do your own work. The millennials came up through schools sitting in pods and round, round tables and all that stuff, and that's kind of the way they want to continue in the workforce. So it's a different workforce that's coming up right now, but it's also a different electorate out there. And it might explain some of the election results, uh, particularly in Oregon, where the millennials turned out very heavily. And you saw, um, you know, a blue wave here in Oregon that kind of didn't get past Oregon. We were one of the few states that sort of saw the blue wave. You know, where you could see, you know, Newt Bueller uh, won, I think, 26 counties out of 36 or 29 counties out of the 36. And if you take Multnomah County out of the equation, he actually won the election by 100,000 votes. But when you put Multnomah County into the equation, he lost by that money. 200,000 votes loss in Multnomah County. 
where a lot of those millennials are located because it's the young city of Portland. So, you know, as you think about election results, think about that, that generational difference. You know, the other thing about workforce, though, is understanding that baby boomers are leaving the workforce at about eight to 10,000 a day in America. Pretty incredible number as they get into uh, turning 65 at about a rate of eight to 10,000 a day. So that's, you know, there's that that gray wave that we've talked about and thinking about how we're providing services. Actually kind of interesting is the boomers are a fairly large group of people, you know, 70 some million. The Gen Xers were, were a significant drop at about 50 million, but Gen Y and Gen Z are actually going to be pretty close to the same amount of people as the boomers. So, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, there's kind of a, a, a drop in population that Gen X period, um, an age group in, in America, but there's, there's, it's coming back with the Gen, Gen, Gen Y and Gen Z. So the boomers won't seem like this huge um, group of population. There's going to be larger groups actually falling behind Gen X. But when you think about now we have this supermajority, where did that come from? And, you know, and you know why would the the could you generally classify millennials as thinking of that authority is a provider? That that's a profound thing. Rather than, you know, I look at you know I'm a boomer. I was born right in the middle of the baby boom in 1957. I always look at myself as my provider. It's my, you know, my individual duty to provide for myself. Yeah, and, and you know. Once I can provide for myself and my family, then I can think about providing for other people. But my most important thing is I've, I've got to, you know, go out and provide for myself. And I don't look upon authority as a provider. I actually look upon authority sometimes as the person in the, the, the thing in the way of me being able to provide for myself. The permit agency that, that's you know, holding up, a you know, an issue with a business permit, you know, or the, the taxation agency that's, that's, you know, taking the profit out of that business. You know, that, that's the, you know, what I see when I think of authority, you know, in some ways. So it's a real flip in how people view authority. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in American politics over the next couple of generations. What's interesting is Gen Z, is going to be a very entrepreneurial generation as it's shaping up right now, according to this, this guy. And they're going to be risk adverse in some ways. They watched um, the tail end of Gen X and the millennials with their student loan debts, and they don't want to go there. So one of the things he said is, you know, if you're in the higher, higher education business, you better start thinking about getting yourself more in line with um, uh, Votech style schools where you're offering, where you can actually show people they're going to make their, their return on investment because the Gen Z folks are not just going to go to school and pay a lot of money and work up debt to find themselves. They're going to want to know what their career is going in. What, what's my career? What, what can you do for me to enhance my career and my earning power before I commit to paying you guys a bunch of money? So it's going to be interesting to have, see how it impacts the university systems, too, as Gen Z starts entering college. But fascinating presentation we had at the Association of Oregon Counties. But it leads us to that supermajority at the state legislature. And I've heard a whole bunch of things bandied about the halls. One of the things I heard repeated consistently is they're going to go after taxes on certain kinds of foods and and beverages 
that they consider to be unhealthy and bad for you. So you might start to see a soda tax be presented at the legislature. You might start to see some kind of sugar, you know, content tax. I don't know how they're going to do it, but um, there's there's a big um, push apparently, or or there's there's at least some talk in in the hallways that there is going to be with the failure of Measure 103 a push to get some kind of um, taxation on these things, whether it's at the producer level, whatever, but it's going to end up costing the consumers. And generally, a lot of the consumers of some of those items tend to be lower income. So it's kind of interesting to see the, the quote, this progressive majority may take on something that's actually going to be mostly funded by low income folks. So be interesting to see how that one plays out. Of course, the other thing that seems to be a surety now that they have a supermajority is there will be some kind of carbon tax scheme or, um, you know, cap and trade scheme that it will pass. And that's another thing that, that, you know, whenever you tax carbon, you're taxing energy in one form or another. And as taxes will play out to everybody through the cost of uh, things that require energy. Um, so whether it's directly through your electric bill and your your filling your gas tank or indirectly through um, you know how much more a new house might cost, how much more your groceries might cost because of the tax on the energy to move, store, and cool your groceries um, you know before they get to you. So it'll be interesting that, you know, that that's going to be one of these hidden taxes. It's going to affect everybody because it's just going to raise the price of everything because there's energy involved in every consumer product in some shape or form. So the, those are the two things I hear. I'm starting to hear a lot. Um, you know, the, the, the cap and trade, cap and invest, carbon tax, whatever it is, that was pretty well a done deal as long as um, they got um, the governor reelected and they held majorities. Um, and particularly if they got a super majority, because it's going to have a revenue increasing piece in it. Um, it'll be, you know, the interesting fight for the counties as we talked in the hallways is for, if their taxes derived from transportation making sure they stay in the highway fund as the state constitution designates it. And they don't try to do an end around and take money um, out of uh, that will actually tax transportation and try and divert it away from our road system. Cause that, you know, I think there is a push to do that and they're going to try and do it because they're going to say, well, it's not a gas tax. It's a carbon tax. There's carbon and gas. Yeah, not quite sure uh, the logic there, but uh, there are people that are trying to push that. So that'll be an interesting battle at the state legislature. It will also be an interesting battle to see whether they can get this not to be an unfunded mandate on local governments, which is also prohibited by the state constitution. And, um, you know, there's still a lawsuit pending with uh, Lynn County, actually they won their piece on the uh, sick leave as an unfunded mandate. So it'll be interesting to see if Lynn County, L-I-N-N, not Lane, Lynn um, chooses, you know, if they do pass a carbon uh, taxing scheme, whether they choose to go with another lawsuit for an unfunded mandate. Be interesting to see how they deal with that aspect of the cap and trade as they deal with their supermajority was also interesting. I was speaking with a Republican legislature who will remain unnamed because they didn't get his permission to uh, make this public or not, but just about some of the tactics the Republicans might use during the session to stop some of the worst things. And there has been discussions about the Republicans um, pulling off the floor so they can't get a quorum. And there's also been discussions about the Republicans not waiving 
the uh, rule that requires each bill to actually be read word for word, which um, they did one year in the Senate and, and that greatly slowed down the Senate's proceedings. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the super minority um, deals with the super majority and whether there's some obstructionism that happens or not. Um, if things, if the supermajority gets too crazy, so that'll be. It's going to be time to make some popcorn and uh, kick your feet up and watch the craziness from Salem come come about February. Uh, with that, I'm going to pause for a moment and remind folks that I'd rather talk about what you want to talk about on the Bo's Nose Show. So you can give us a call here at 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to talk to me, your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. So another item that's going on around here recently and was in the news this morning was the city council has decided they're going to look into purchasing the eWeb buildings on the river. That's their, their main headquarter building and their um, uh, board meeting room building that are kind of interconnected by a little sky bridge there with the fountain in between uh, right there on the river. And um, one of the things they did was they said they're not going to look at it for a city hall. And I just wonder, you know, folks out there, what do you guys, you know, what's the public think the highest and best use of that old eWeb headquarter building should be? You know, should it be torn down in a, in a hotel built on the river with retail and all that stuff that, you know, you know, be pretty attractive place to have out of town guests stay with that river view. Um, you know, should it be the city hall and avoid the cost of building a new city hall for, you know, a fraction of the cost they could purchase that and convert it. Should it be um, something completely different, you know, down there, just, you know, what do you think the highest and best use of that, that property is as a city hall, as just city offices, as um, retail space, uh, you know, tear down and re rebuild as something else. What do you guys think about that? I have my own personal feelings, and I've always felt that um, a concept that was uh, once floated to, by uh, John Musumici, of all people, years ago was to convert that thing into a hotel convention center right on the river. Um, I'm not too keen on the convention center idea. We already have one and, and I wouldn't want to duplicate that um, down by the river because um, it would just be a waste of the one existing one we have would go unused. Uh, so you hate wasting something. We do need to expand the existing one, but that's a little too far away to be considered interconnected with our current um, convention center that, that really needs to be done in close proximity giving up on the idea of a convention center on the river you know hotel might be and retail might be some really good uh use some you know uh housing in that area city hall at one time i was pretty much against it because i didn't think that was you know one it's away from bus lines it's not, you know, there is a bus line that does go past the EWEP building, but it's only one. It's not really a, a great location for mass transit, sort of out of the way from actual downtown. But the building is set up to be municipal offices because that's what the utility was. And it has a boardroom already built there and some other meeting rooms there. Uh, so it, it's got some capacity to be a um, city hall, you know, with council chambers, et cetera. Um, but what, you know, the problem with that is there's folks that are bound and determined to have city hall on the public square here in downtown, which I, I can kind of get that too. So I'm kind of torn there. 
the one really attractive part about using the eWeb building is they could probably get a new city hall for a fraction of the cost of building new and a new old city hall, I should say. And then they could maybe take that capital money and invest it, you know, in this, in the needed homeless shelter that their own study says we need in this area, a 75 bed emergency shelter. And it might help us with some of the other issues that have been in the news lately, which is the um, on again, off again, uh, homeless protest that's been happening across from our building at, at what's known as the butterfly lot, which we can get into here in a minute. But I'm just curious, what do people out there think the eWeb building should be used for? You got any any thoughts on that, Robin? Well, I say go ahead and make it a city hall and then take that big parking lot and put a homeless camp there. <laughs> put it right on their doorstep. Yeah, they could do that. You know, I don't know how much of that parking lot comes with the buildings, Um but I know that the rest of the site ha- has a developer that's starting to, you know, look at redeveloping it. Um, that the city's already kind of in 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 a contract about. So yeah, be that would be kind of interesting. I bet that developer wouldn't be too happy about that. <laughs> I know the downtown businesses were not happy about the protest camp that sprang up here across from the county, and they were really unhappy about the idea of setting up a more permanent style camp on the empty city hall block. Well, and Rick Dancer did a uh, Facebook live yesterday interviewing that camp that returned. Yeah. And and he went down down there and asked them, why did you leave the one that was set up for you guys? You know, they said, well, we don't like the curfew. We don't like the regulations or the rules or whatever. And we don't want to live that way. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of felt like they were they were moving the goalposts on us. You know, we we set up this place, you know, in in accordance with the ninth district's decision on in Martin versus Boise. We, you know, we asked them to relocate voluntarily to a place where they actually had a much better situation. You know, over here at the Butterfly Lot, there was absolutely no services available to them. We offered them a spot over on 99 where we provided, you know, the, the porta potties, hand washing stations. We actually provided running water. Uh, we fenced it so they were secure and so it was secure so that they wouldn't have to worry about their tents walking away. If they left their tents for, for half an hour or something like that, um, much better situation. Plus it was across the street from the Lindholm center, which is a day center for homeless folks which has showers available, serves a couple meals a day, hot meals a day, and um, has other services located in that building, like laundry, the ability to do laundry. So here they were in a much better situation. They voluntarily moved there. Um, And suddenly they were upset when we decided to contract with St. Vincent de Paul to manage the site in the long term, because the county doesn't have, we, we don't manage that kind of camping and don't have anyone, but St. Vincent's is experienced in it. Well, they didn't like that because they don't like St. Vincent's for some reason. I don't know why. And then also they decided that we needed to get them some bus passes because the 99 sites a little bit away from downtown, although it's not that far that, that they wanted us to provide free bus passes. And then also um, they started adding a whole laundry list of stuff they wanted. They wanted electricity run out there so people could charge their phones, which that's available at the Lindholm Center during the day. Gosh, uh, how do we? Yeah. 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 And, 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 and in addition, it kind of seemed like they were looking a gift horse in the mouth, you know, <laughs> Here they're going from a situation where there was no services at all to a situation where they had a lot of services provided and then they weren't happy about it. Right. But, kind of reminds me of a movie I saw where they brought in this, I think it was a kid, 
that was used to living out in the woods and they brought him brought him in and you know housed him closed him whatever and he instead of sleeping in his bed he went out and slept in the backyard because that's what he was more comfortable and familiar with yeah yeah and i just don't yeah don't know what's going on but we are actually you know at this point um because we have an alternative for them they're violating our our no camping and, and no trespassing laws there and uh we took action this afternoon to trespass the folks there and offered them um transportation and rides back to the 99 site and hopefully they they're peacefully moving off of our property as we speak and we'll see we we provide a lot of services for the homeless in this county. Exactly. The city of Eugene and Lane County spend millions of dollars a year. Um, and I just didn't quite understand the protest in the first place. First of all, it was against the city's um, anti-camping uh, ordinance, not the county's, but they're on county property. <laughs> and, and, and it was just, it seemed like, um, not a very well-directed protest well, against, even if, against even, the city and a county that both do a lot for the homeless. Right. Well, in the same interview with Rick Dancer, uh, even the residents was, was commenting because of the um, how much they're being catered to that they're seeing a lot of people coming from out of state to Eugene because that they know they'll be treated better. Yeah, we kind of hear stories about that sometimes, but the statistics truly prove that out. Um, and, you know, there's a portion of folks in Eugene that go to other places and end up homeless there. Right. Um, so it's it kind of that that portion of the population that's transient from other areas is probably Eugenians that are homeless in other areas of an equal proportion. And then there's a small amount that moves around. But in general, the homeless population is fairly um, as is fairly uh, non-transient in a lot of ways because transient between cities is what I'm referring to because they don't have the ability to move. You know, you don't push a shopping cart between here and Portland the whole way. Right. You can push it between downtown and Highway 99 or over to Springfield, maybe, or down to the river, you know, or, you know, get around town, but you're not going to push it to another city because you heard that other city might have a little bit better homeless services. They don't have the, the money and the resources to buy tickets for something to move. Um, it's not that easy to hitchhike if you look like you're homeless. <laughs> um and the railways aren't what they used to be for moving people to and from between cities. They're, sure. a, little, they're a little bit more careful about letting people jump on a rail truck car. So, so yeah, that some of the, you know, they actually did a, um, a survey of the folks at the, in the rest stop program, which is not a, a broad cross section of our homeless population, but a majority of those people, close to 90% had, were living in Eugene when they became homeless and up to, it was close to 50% had actually been living in Lane County for more than 10 years before they came, became homeless. So the, that's one of the kind of myths of the, the whole homeless issue is, you know, if we do something for the homeless, we're going to attract more of them, maybe a few, but not a lot. The mobility is just not there. But so so you think they ought to use eWeb building as a city hall. So that's one vote for city hall at, at the eWeb site. If, well, you have, if it was me, I would have uh, said just fix the building you got or had before they took it down. Uh, well, that, I, I have to um, – this is one place where I might get sideways with you, but that building was not retrievable. As an engineer, I can tell you that was not a sound building. It had 
horrible issues, horribly inefficient, um, and ugly to boot. <laughs> I'll give you that, but is that because it was built on stilts? Um, yeah, part of it, you know, because they built the garage underneath. It wasn't seismic. It was going to take a huge um, investment to get it to be seismically sound. If you ever were in the actual building and it had those perimeter offices that were kind of, you know, linear around the perimeter, uh, you know, so they weren't efficient to heat or cool. And then the center meeting council chamber, it always was having issues with, um, uh, it didn't have a sound building envelope, you know, so the, the siding and the roofing were constantly having problems with leaks. Um, it just was a, some architect thought it up back when it was built and it probably looked good on a piece of paper, but it was not a good, it wasn't an efficient design. It wasn't going to help city, uh, you know, into the future as they need more space and all that. It was just a bad building in a lot of ways. What about, uh, I haven't been down there, but the new EPD area down by the bus depot, in other words, put City Hall down in the midst of, of the city and let them, that way they can't avoid the actual condition of the city. Yeah, there's some some thought to that, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I sort of agree with the thoughts about build City Hall on, on the public square, which is park blocks. Right. Which puts them, puts them there, you know, um, on our butterfly lot where they would have to see what's going on in downtown all the time. If they're off on the river, they're not going to see it as much. Exactly. There was an old saying about the uh, the White House is that from the windows of the White House, looking out over the plush lawn, everything, everything looks just uh, really hunky-dory, but on the other side of the fence, you got people sleeping on the benches. Yep. Yeah, and, and from the White House side, all you see is the back of the bench. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kind of see no evil, hear no evil. Yeah, yeah. And tax all the evil. <laughs> yeah, tax everything. Tax everything. You know, they they said, well, they can tax everything except air. Nope, they figured that out too. Yep, yep, that's what the carbon tax will be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, they even came up with an idea to North Dakota, $2 a head for cattle because <clears throat> what comes out the back end is part of greenhouse gases. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. The only thing is, don't try to install the uh, uh, EGR unit on a cow. It's not pretty. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> we don't need to be collecting that that gas. <laughs> but I do love the way cows taste. That's true. <laughs> I like my beef. I have to admit. Where's the beef? Yep. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Yeah, we're too old. People don't remember that one. I've never heard of it. Yep, yep, yep. So, speaking of beef, if you've got a beef, you can give us a call here on the Bose Nose Show at 646 721 9887. Just press one because we still got about 15 minutes left in the Bose Nose Show. Where do you think City Hall ought to go? And, uh, you know, what do you think of the, the homeless camping protests here in downtown? Um, what do you think about this generational issues I was discussing earlier and the fact that the millennials uh, look on authority as a provider? And uh, what do you think of the new supermajority coming into the legislature? And what do you think might happen with the supermajority? So all sorts of things we talked about here today on the Bose Nose Show. So give us a call again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, uh, know you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. So, Robin, I don't really have a good what were they thinking today. You Did you have any in your back pocket? What were they thinking? Oh, God. <laughs> um, more than not, it's appropriate. Um, well, well it, it, so we were kind of talking about one before we got on the air here. Uh, 
Actually, I got I got one that might be more hitting home for you based on your experience yeah. without getting into politics per se, but your experience, because you've had interviews with the press, and I'm assuming that most of the press agents, if they're awake enough to do the interviews, <clears throat> um, are pretty courteous and respectful. Yeah. Has, that, has that been your experience mainly? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. You know, I, I've had, I've, you know, the press, even even the folks from the Eugene Weekly are nice to me. Yeah, so anybody that gets up there in grandstands probably wouldn't be uh, eh, taken too seriously, I would suspect. No, not really. I, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going there. I'm just kind of going in general. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of got to wonder about, you know, the press and, and the and politicians have interesting relationships. You know, they do want to they they kind of do want to get the gotchas because that's what sells newspapers and 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 brings in viewers. Um, but they also want to continually get information to write stories and where they get the information is from the politicians. So they have to kind of walk this this balancing line of being respectful and polite while also asking very pointed questions, hoping to get the gotcha moment that gets them the, uh, the recognition. And just sometimes some people don't quite know how to walk that line very well. And, and uh, I think we saw the blow up of that at the white house the other day. And what's fascinating is and this is purely on a constitutional issue if cnn wins their lawsuit against the trump administration that they should that that acosta has a constitutional right under the first amendment to be present at the press briefings of the white house then does that mean that every podunk person that claims that they're part of the press can demand entrance into the White House's press briefings. I mean, I do the Bose Nose Show here. Can I get a press pass? Do I have a constitutional right to be there? I don't. I don't think there's a constitutional issue here. And one of the other things is, is as as you know, they've just banned Mr. Acosta. What about any? Have the CNN asked if any other of their reporters can come to the press briefings? It's not like they've been locked out of the press briefings. Well, um, here's one little piece of information they that you're not hearing much about. They took away his hard pass. They didn't take away his daily pass. Yeah, and you're right. Is that it's only Jim Acosta being uh, temporarily banned because of his attitude? But no, they have not block the other reporters from CNN or anybody else. Yeah. So, no, they, I mean, the president doesn't have to give, or any anybody, even you, don't don't have to give uh, any interviews with reporters. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. They can report that I didn't, I didn't comment or wouldn't take the, the, the calls or, you know, whatever they want to report, their freedom to report what they want. I don't, I don't, they don't have a right to demand that I communicate, that I directly communicate with them. Exactly. And, you know, as far as the cost of himself, my own personal opinion, I've seen him in other issues and for one in, you know, constantly interrupting people. I understand that he wants to be the go get him reporter and try to do whatever, but um, they constantly interrupt and be rude for one. And also he, he keeps pushing these questions that nobody cares about anymore. Yeah. But no, I, I just, I brought it up just as a, um, a thing in general about your experience. And, you know, for me, um, if somebody constantly did that and, you know, beyond their turn and just constantly interrupt, 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 um, I would not be happy with that. I don't know how I'd handle it, but, I think I, if I could temporarily ban them, I, I would. 
I mean, just like somebody calls up on the show and starts being rude and whatever, you know, we dump them. Yep. Yep. They have no right to be on my show. That's right. Although they probably should try it at 646-721-9887. See, I can do the segue too. Yep. Yep. They should. And, and, you know, it's a simple and easy thing. We're friendly. As long as you stay friendly and um, stay away from abusive language and stuff like that, we don't dump people normally. I don't think we've dumped any callers, really, have we? I'm trying to remember if we've dumped a caller. I think since in the show's history, since 2009, I think there's only been like three or four we've actually dumped off the air. Hmm. Yeah. But that, that's pretty good, considering it's been uh, kind of going on uh, 10 years. Uh, and that's that's for the blog talk, your, your shows too, right? Exactly. All, all the shows that we've had on, on blog talk, which is probably around 400 or more now. Yeah. So that, that's... Um, as far as KRBN, but the Bose Nose Show, I'm not remembering the time we dumped somebody. No, we haven't. Yeah. Your your listeners have been pretty respectful, and we appreciate that. And we also appreciate what you call and listen. And you, when you listen on uh, on Facebook and on our um, on Player.fm and other you know and on iTunes and other places that we're available, and the numbers are showing it and you know, thank you very much for, for listening. Feel free to comment or write us at talk at net. Little promo. <laughs> yeah. Yep, snuck that one in there too, didn't you? Hey, I'm experienced. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you've done, you've probably done this more than I have, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm just a county commissioner. I'm not a radio uh, personality. So I, I have a tendency to stumble through this show sometimes. I hope my listeners, you know, will grant me some leeway that I am not a professional um, radio broadcaster. That's why you hear ums and you knows and the bad speech patterns that would probably drive the folks at uh, Toastmasters crazy. (laughs) Yeah, and you're not Alex Jones either. Thank you very much. What? (laughs) All right, 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 yeah. So see, folks, we can have fun on the show, too. We can be serious. We can have fun. Um, it's also a good opportunity. You know, call Jay if you got a question or if you just want to talk about poodles or say hi. You know, he won't die. He's very friendly. Yep. I, I, poodles, but I don't know about Jay. Yeah, yeah. The poodles won't bite either. They're pretty friendly. <laughs> yep. So um, in our closing minutes here, I, you know, I want to talk about one thing a little bit. You know, we may have had the blue wave here in Oregon, but the one thing we knew in Oregon within 24 hours was pretty well every race from the top of the ballot to the bottom of the ballot, what the accurate vote count was, because we've got a great system of uh, ballot, you know, paper ballots. So there's the ability to track and audit our, our results. Our counting machines are not connected to the internet. They're offline. And, uh, you know, so it's a very secure voting system, even though it's vote by mail, it's secure in the counting process. I won't talk about whether or not you can get registered illegally fairly easily in, in Oregon, but that's, you know, that takes individual effort to defraud the system. Not, and it's, you know, that might be one vote. Um, but as far as systematically uh, corrupting the system from outside, it's very difficult. But it always amazes me um, that they're able to punch the button and, and at 8.05 you can get results that are pretty much close to final results. And usually by somewhere about 1 o'clock in the morning, you pretty well know where every race stands in the state of Oregon. Unlike some other states and the amazing disappearing margins that seem to only happen to Republicans where they only seem to keep finding Democrat votes um, in some of these states for days. And I, and what amazes me is in Florida, it's the two counties that had issues with the dimpled ballots and hanging chads back in the 2000 Bush Gore election 
that, you know, they all ended up in lawsuits and supposedly got federal money to update and modernize their vote counting systems after that election. And there's, Still counting votes down there. You know, I didn't even know what a Chad was until Florida. Yeah. Dimpled Chads, hanging Chads. <laughs> Trying to understand the intent of the voter. <laughs> Enhancing ballots. All those terms. Oh my gosh. But now we're, you know, we're finding votes and stuff that are coming in and, and late and everything, you know, at least in Oregon, if that vote isn't in a box or received in the elections office by eight o'clock on election day, doesn't count. So they, you know, they start telling you a couple of weeks in advance, if you know, don't mail your ballot late, you have to hand carry it to a, a box or a polling place. If it, you know, a week out from the election, they tell you to stop mailing them. Um, there is has been some push in the state to uh, allow uh, postmarks, but we'll we end up like Florida if we do that. You know, I, I think that would be the one of the worst things we could do. But it just amazes me, and, it, and it's kind of the what were they thinking moment that Broward County and Miami-Dade down there just can't seem to get their stuff together and be able to issue an accurate vote count within 24 hours of the close of the uh, the polls. Just don't understand it. Well, we've been a leader. Maybe we, they can use us as an example. Yeah. I will say that, you know, our elections folks, you know, did a great job. We had, you know, o- over 100 temporary employees working the election, um, you know, expanding up from a staff of about eight or nine. I can't remember what's over there in elections to well over 100 to run an election and getting things done, counted accurately, published, you know, in, in a timely manner. You know, and I've been in a close race where, you, you know, it was close enough that you couldn't call the race um, here in Oregon. But we knew exactly what the differences were. And the only thing that was there were some provisional ballots that got set aside because the signatures weren't exact matches. And we got, you know, the candidates got an opportunity to try and chase down the people whose ballots were set aside, and you know, so they could come in and either attest that that was their signature, uh, you know, because if they don't come in and, and, you know, show that that's their signature, they get dropped from the voting records for the next election. Hey, I got a quick, uh, what are they thinking for you? Sure. Uh, What is the politically correct term for next week? Thanksgiving week? I don't know. What's politically correct? I don't know, because Columbus Day was in indigenous people. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, we are going to be broadcasting next week, I'm assuming. Yes, we are. Yes. I'm planning to broadcast, even though most people might be on the road, sitting in traffic. You can always call the 646-721-9887 and listen on your cell phone. You don't have to press one. It's one of the reasons why we ask people to press one, because some people do call and listen on their cell phone when they're not where they can sit and either listen to blog talk through the internet or um, stream uh, Facebook live. So that's really uh, one of the ways that you can listen to the show is just right on your cell phone. If you have unlimited service, it doesn't cost you a dime. So um, try that sometime. If you're traveling for Thanksgiving and want to hear the Bose nose show, because one of the things we're going to talk about next week is what are you thankful for? Exactly. Yeah, what do you have to be thankful for? i tell you one thing I'm thankful for, that I live in a nation that can change their government every two years and do it without a single gunshot or bloodshed, you know, at the polls and everything. We, you know, think about that. We just changed the majority of our House of Representatives, and there was no violence involved in that change 
Okay. And what I'd like to challenge people in the last 10 seconds um, before the music starts is uh, between now and the next show on Facebook or whatever, uh, put a comment in there. You know, what are you thankful for? Or email us. And, uh, you know, if you want, we'll even read it on the air. Yep. Yeah, and if you don't want us to read it on there, just tell us. But thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. You know, we come to you live here every Wednesday at 4 o'clock because I want to hear from you, my constituents, and it's an opportunity for me to talk to my constituents out there and anyone else that might be listening across the World Wide Web uh, about politics and, and things that are going on uh, in current news. But we'll be back next week with another live edition of the Bo's Nose Show. We'll mix a little bit of politics and current events into what are you thankful for. So thank you for listening, and have a great week. 